Well, good morning, church. It's good to be back in the house of the Lord as we continue uh, walking through Advent and celebrating Advent. Have you ever been to Yellowstone National Park? I've not. (laughs) But it's an amazing, beautiful place and such a unique place. It's no wonder that it was the first national park established in the world. Its wonder captivated our lawmakers. And in 1872, President Ulysses S. Grant signed the act that set aside Yellowstone as a protected treasure. Even if you haven't been, you've probably seen the sights and photos of Yellowstone. The wildlife is iconic and it is a part of our American consciousness. The bison and bears, the wolves, the eagles and elk, and all sorts of smaller creatures. The mountains are, of course, are rugged and majestic. So are the waterfalls and rivers. But then there are the geysers. And if there's one thing that stands out about Yellowstone, it has to be the geysers. There's so much geothermal activity there, it's amazing. The park itself basically sits on top of a huge supervolcano brewing beneath the Earth's surface. And all over the park, this brewing heat works its way to the surface and forces its way through the Earth. The crazy thing is, if you haven't been, is how many different kinds of geysers there are. There's usually water involved with the geysers. You can definitely see that at places like Old Faithful, which is the most famous geyser in the park in the United States and probably the world. Old Faithful shoots and spurts huge fountains of water and steam up to 180 feet in the air. Old Faithful erupts about 20 times a day, and it doesn't, not as often as it used to, but it still erupts that many times. Um, But park rangers and scientists are able to predict the times each day when Old Faithful will erupt. So if you go to see Old Faithful, get there early because it is a, it draws big crowds. There are other well-known geysers for different reasons, like the Grand Prismatic Geyser. It is the largest hot spring in the United States, and its kaleidoscope of colors is breathtaking. There are also countless small pools and puddles that bubble and occasionally shoot spouts of superheated water out into the air. And then there are the muddy geysers called the mud pots. (laughs) These are the cauldrons of goo somewhere between liquid and solid. They're kind of like a pot of oatmeal simmering on a stove. These geysers burble and burp and boil, releasing bubbles of heat and gas into the air. They come in different colors depending on whatever predominant minerals they hold. And they'll remind you of lava churning and mixing in the earth. Okay, so why am I talking so much about geysers this morning, even when I haven't been to that national park? Because geysers remind me of joy. And similar to joy, excuse me, similar to geysers, joy bubbles and overflows and has to find its way out in some way or another. Sometimes, and for some people, that's a big bursting eruption like Old Faithful. But other times, joys might be, joy might be a slow rolling burble. It might even be a little muddy or murky or slower to make its way out. But no matter what's surrounding it or influencing it, joy has its source deep within, like the geysers. Joy is the trait we're exploring today on this third Sunday of Advent. 
And if you've been journeying with us these past few weeks towards Christmas, you know that we've been celebrating Advent. As a quick recap, the word Advent means coming or arrival. And the season is marked by expectation, waiting, anticipation, and longing. Advent is not just an extension of Christmas. It is a season that links the past and present and future. Advent offers us, as Christians, the opportunity to share in the ancient longing that the Jews had for the coming of the Messiah, to celebrate his birth and to be alert for his second coming. Advent looks back, at the same time looking forward in hopeful and eager anticipation to the coming of Christ's kingdom and when he returns for his people. During Advent, we wait for both. It's an active, assured, and hopeful waiting. And each week we are focusing on a different attribute of God represented in the coming of Jesus. Each week we light a candle representing these attributes and characteristics. There's the candle of hope, peace. Today we have the candle of joy. And next week we will light the candle of love. Through these traits we are learning how we can rediscover Christmas in spite of all the challenges hardships, pains, and difficulties we might be experiencing. Because Christ has come to be God with us, we can experience joy no matter what discouragement we may be going through. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. A carol that we're all familiar with. And we think about it as we celebrate Advent and Christmas, and we think joy to the world. And a lot of times we think of the past. We think of when Christ came, or we may think of childhood memories. But today we're going to kind of look at joy in a different aspect. As we look at joy, the characteristic of Christ, we're going to look at uh, two characters of the Christmas story, Elizabeth and Mary. And we're going to look at joy through the eyes of a mother. There's a lot of joy throughout the biblical Christmas story, especially early on in the story. But it's important to note that this joy, it really isn't separate from pain and disappointment. In fact, much of this joy is born out of long disappointment and grief. We're going to look more closely at this as we explore the stories and experiences of Elizabeth and Mary. Luke's Christmas story begins a little earlier than Mary, Jesus, and Joseph. It starts with a priest named Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they both were very old. In this short paragraph that Luke writes, it speaks volumes of information to his original audience. 
those he written to would have realized that Herod, the Roman king, was the one keeping the Jews under harsh Roman control. These were difficult times for the Jews. And here we meet Zechariah and Elizabeth, both of priestly lineage, and in a day with a lot of religious corruption and power plays by the Pharisees and Sadducees, Zechariah and Elizabeth are a stark contrast. They are described as righteous, blameless, and faithful. This is especially important in light of what Luke tells us next. As they were blameless, faithful, and righteous, Zechariah and Elizabeth had never had children. This was seen as somewhat of a curse in that day. But that changes suddenly. And miraculously, when the archangel Gabriel shows up and tells Zechariah that his wife is going to have a son, a powerful prophetic son who will prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. As you know, Zechariah is so overwhelmed, he can hardly believe this news. And when he questions the angel, the angel's reply basically is, okay, here's your sign. You won't be able to speak until the child is born. And the priest is left writing and signing to everyone to explain what happened. It seems Elizabeth, though, is a little bit quicker to accept the good news and believe the news. And when she becomes pregnant, in Luke, Luke tells us that her response in first Luke 1, chapter 25, she responds, The Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And there's an odd note in, in the previous um, several verses that tells us that Elizabeth actually went into seclusion for the first five months of her pregnancy. This might have been something, uh, this might have had something to do with Elizabeth's disgrace that she had mentioned. For her, the inability to have children would have been a lifelong source of pain, sorrow, and even shame. It was a big deal in that culture to have children. It was seen as a blessing from God to have many children. The great hopes of the young couple, Elizabeth and Zachariah, would eventually faded through the years as they tried repeatedly to have a child. Elizabeth, as a young Jewish woman, would have questioned herself and probably asked questions to those women around her. And they probably would have questioned her unfairly, casting suspicion or unfounded blame on her. Perhaps there were pregnancies to spark new hope and miscarriages to dash those new hopes with grief and loss. Elizabeth's self-worth was probably sunk as, as the years passed and her hope dimmed. At some point, she and everyone around her came to the conclusion and would have declared Elizabeth barren and branded her with this lifelong stigma. And it was not a nice stigma. Maybe that's why she stayed in seclusion for five months, keeping to herself to let her hope blossom into personal joy, to make sure that the pregnancy was indeed going to last. And maybe she was just simply savoring those days of gestation on her own terms so that she didn't have to deal with those around her 
Maybe they were overly excited for her. Maybe they caused doubt in her life. Maybe they were naysayers. But for whatever reason, we do see that she stayed in seclusion for five months. Now, if we were watching a movie, this is where we get some kind of subtitle or some kind of message like, meanwhile, in Galilee, when Elizabeth was six months pregnant, Gabriel makes another earthly appearance, but this time it's to Mary. And we're familiar, you know, Gabriel comes to Mary. But this time he's delivering the most miraculous pregnancy announcement of all time. Mary received the news gracefully and willingly. But at some point early on, she must have realized the challenges and disgrace that were about to begin. The scorn and shame she would face, as well as her family and Joseph, would be tremendous when it became obvious she was pregnant and unmarried. How do you make people believe that the pregnancy is the son of God? Even Joseph couldn't believe it when he first found out. And as Matthew's narrative tells us, Joseph planned to break off the engagement, which in that era and that um, culture, that would have been a divorce. Mary's journey would not be an easy one. Maybe that's why, as Luke tells us in chapter 1, verse 39, Mary hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Mary must have heard about her relative Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy. If anyone will understand, it has to be Elizabeth, she might have thought. If she thought that, she was absolutely correct. This is where joy comes into the picture. This is where joy erupts from the mothers-to-be. Against the backdrop of discouragement, disgrace, grief, and shame, the joy comes bursting through, through for Elizabeth and for Mary. Luke tells us in verses 41 through 45, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. As much joy filled Elizabeth about her own pregnancy, it seems more joy filled her about Mary's pregnancy. This is what their advent was like. For they had anticipated and longed for, for so long, for thousands of years, the promised one, their Messiah. And here we find Elizabeth believing the word of the Lord and finding out for herself that Mary was carrying their Messiah. But for Mary, this must have been such a relief. This, these words by Elizabeth, she didn't have to, Mary didn't have to explain herself to Elizabeth. She didn't have to worry anymore about being misunderstood. All she had to do was say hello, and Elizabeth knew. She knew. Even, even her developing baby 
John, knew, and he leapt within her. This was just the affirmation and encouragement Mary needed at this point in her life. And her joy came bursting through at the same time. And she sang and praised and thanked God. And Luke records this um, song in verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Such a beautiful passage of scripture. On one level, it's a celebration and connection in the midst of miraculous events. But on another level, it's two expectant mothers sharing a deep understanding and affirmation that, that foster the flow of joy no matter what has happened or what may happen in the days ahead. There's much we can take away from Mary and, Mar Mary and Elizabeth. But I'd like to focus on three points that we can apply to our own experience with joy. Number one. It's okay to be joyful and happy. It's okay to be joyful and happy. For some of you, this is a no-brainer, no-duh kind of statement. For others of you, it's a subversive kind of statement that might make you a little uncomfortable if you really think about it. A lot of where you fall on that spectrum has a lot to do with your personal past and your spiritual history. We've probably all heard joy described in contrast to happiness. I've even described the emotions in a dichotomy that divides the two basically along these lines. Happiness is fleeting and temporary. Joy is deeper and more fulfilling. And often in our Christian culture, the two get split into happiness as secular and less valuable or fulfilling, and joy as spiritual and more important or fulfilling. In actuality, the Bible doesn't make a distinction between joy and happiness. They are essentially different words for the same thing. They may have slightly different nuances like many synonyms do, but those are often cultural and shifting. They've been translated somewhat differently in our different English translations of the Bible. But the original Greek and Hebrew terms used in the Bible to describe joy and happiness are essentially interchangeable. This is one of the premises of a book called Happiness by theologian Randy Alcorn. Today we're simplifying it because he actually wrote an entire book about the subject. But I raise this point because it's something some of us need to hear and be reminded of. It's okay to want to be happy and joyful and it's okay to enjoy those emotions. There is great joy in the Christmas season. 
And it's good to embrace and celebrate that joy. It is certainly hard to find the right balance in our lives to savor and experience that joy. But to those of you who find yourselves driven by obligation and busyness and guilt in this season, it's okay to stop and say no and pause and embrace a part of the season that brings you personal happiness. And to those of you who find Christmas to be a painful, difficult season, to those of you who are hurting or grieving, personally or feeling discouraged by this tumultuous last year we've been going through, or to those of you who are happy to revel in this season, it's okay to feel and to embrace joy. God sees you no matter where you are on the emotional spectrum of happiness. The point here that, that is that our longing for happiness and joy is actual a natural desire that God has placed within us as a reflection of his own joyful nature. Whatever term we want to call it, the most important part is our source of joy and happiness. Second point, joy is our strength. There's a great example of this principle found in the Old Testament, and it's found in the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the Old Testament leader who had gotten permission from King Artaxerxes to re return from exile in Babylon and rebuild Jerusalem, and he started with the walls. This process of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, was more than a physical act. It was a spiritual reawakening for the people. In chapter 8 of the book of Nehemiah, he brings all the people together and they bring out the law of Moses and they read it. Nehemiah is calling the people to remember and to return to their relationship with God. And as he does this, the people start weeping. Maybe there are some tears of joy for, from some of the people who remember God's words from years past. But more than likely, most of them weep from sadness as they recognize their guilt and drifting from God. Here's the beauty in the midst of this scene. Nehemiah's reading the word of God. It brings conviction on the people of Israel and they are weeping. But the Bible tells us in verse 10 of chapter eight, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Celebrate in joy, Nehemiah says. Why? Because this is a time for happiness that God has brought us back and is restoring our city and our hearts. And because our source of strength is the very joy of the Lord, it's what fuels us and sustains us. So Valley, I want to say, celebrate, enjoy, because God has plans for us. No matter what our future holds, our source of joy will remain constant. Enjoy what God has blessed us with, with each other, with our personal families, with reasons to celebrate. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. And he has come in such a way that we get to have a personal relationship with him.
Our true source of happiness, joy, and fulfillment comes from Christ. And it can only come from Christ. Christmas is a season of joy because the Messiah has brought joy into the world and provided us with the way of ultimate fulfillment and life. Peter describes it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8-9. through 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. An inexpressible and glorious joy sounds like deep stuff. The kind that finds its source even deeper than our pain, our sorrows, and the problems that can literally bury us. It's a deep well that we can draw upon, no matter what we are facing. There's a song, that old Southern gospel song, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That is our source of joy. It's not outside of us. Christ lives within us when we follow him. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is a don't worry, be happy, or put on your plastic smile and fake it kind of joy. Sometimes this joy is a rushing fountain erupting from our spirits, and sometimes it is a thick, slow bubble to the surface. Wherever you find yourself today, let me encourage you that the joy of the Lord can be felt no matter what you are facing. And that leads us to our final point. We can choose joy. We can choose joy. There are a lot of uses of the word rejoice in the Bible, but it's not a word that we use very often in our culture, but maybe we should. In the church, we often hear the verse, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. The shepherds rejoiced greatly as they went about their business and told everybody. But in our day-to-day life, it's not a word that we normally use. Maybe we should. Rejoice is the verb form of joy. It's the action of feeling or expressing joy and delight. And if you look a little more closely at the word, you'll notice that it begins with the prefix re. Think back to grammar class or just think of other English words that start with re. And you'll remember that this prefix means once more or again or return to. So to rejoice is to return to joy. It's a choice and an action we can take to return to joy. I'd like to add also for us, it is a return to our source of joy. It's a return to Jesus. And and in this Advent season, it is a return to rediscover Christmas. Valley, I believe... This is the only way we can find true delight and satisfaction. I also believe it's the only way we can move forward and find what God has for us. Return to joy. Return to Christ, the source of our joy. And I believe the process is the same for all of us, whether we are feeling the happiness and joy of the season or not. Whether we are buried in discouragement or or everything is going our way, none of us can conjure up an unending supply of feel-good happiness all the time. None of us can do that. 
no matter how optimistic or positive our natural disposition is. It's just impossible. Because sooner or later, we all have one of those days or weeks or years. In reality, we all have been having one of those years in 2020. And we have them more often than we'd like. That's where the re comes in. That's where we must return regularly, daily, constantly to Jesus, our source of joy. It's why rejoicing is our process of refueling our tank, restoring our strength, and renewing our spirit. It's reconnecting with our Savior, spending time in the Word. You know, we, uh, Valley, our ministry assistant, has printed out a devotion to go along with the sermon series. You can get it online, or if you're here, you can get a copy of it. I hope you've been taking time to read that or that you have been taking time every day to be in God's word. There's just something powerful about being in God's word. And if you've never experienced it, there's no way somebody can explain it to you because it's, it's just supernatural. And then to spend time communing with God through his word and through prayer. This is how we reconnect with God. And it's not that we've lost anything. It's just that life gets in the way sometimes. We become burdened and overwhelmed and we allow our circumstances to push out our thoughts of God and Jesus. So I wanna encourage you to reconnect on a daily basis through reading the word of God and through prayer. This is how we can choose joy. Sometimes the last thing I want to hear when I'm grumpy, when I'm hurting, I don't want to hear. Well, consider it pure joy. Have you ever had that happen? You're going through a circumstance and a well-meaning person, probably in church, says, well, consider it pure joy what you're going through because it's going to build perseverance in you. Bless your heart. And you just want to smack the person. I'm just being real. They mean well, but it's the last thing you want to hear. Joy can feel so far away when we're grieving or depressed or afraid. As our pain and problems loom and they may even grow. And joy seems further and further away. But let me encourage you that James isn't necessarily saying be happy about our trials and problems. He's saying we can find joy in the midst of them. And when we see the bigger picture beyond them, our joy returns. The bigger picture that God is working for our good in every situation, that bigger picture starts at our source in Jesus. When I was growing up, my mother, every Saturday morning, we would have to clean the house. And we had one of those old Wi-Fi's, not Wi-Fi's, excuse me, Hi-Fi's. You know, the um, console was so long, and it had a record player, a radio, and an eight-track player. She would always put on Southern Gospel records, and she would blast them through the house. Southern Gospel at that point always, it seemed, always sang about heaven. 
And I thought, why are they always singing about heaven? But the older I get, the more I understand. Because ultimately, this body will give away, the earth will pass away. But God remains, and I will go see him in heaven. And so when, because of my upbringing, when I feel discouraged, a lot of times I just go back to the word and then I go back to Southern Gospel songs. Like, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Because our circumstances are temporary, but joy is everlasting. In the difficult times, there's much encouragement, so much encouragement to be found in the rejoices of the Psalms. Psalms 13 is a great example of this. In verse one, it begins with the painful cry, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? But in verse five, that psalm ends with a reminder and declaration. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. It's just one of many similar examples that we find in the psalms. The psalms are honest and raw as the writers pour out their feelings in these prayer-like poems and songs. Then we see them transition through the process of remembering and stirring themselves to rejoice and find strength in and from God. This is where and how we find authentic, true joy. This is how we can celebrate in 2020, this season of Advent. This is how we can celebrate this season of Christmas when we are going through such a difficult time. We remember and we return to Jesus because he has come to be with us and to give us joy. Not just to give us joy, but to be our joy. Last week we stated that peace is a person and that peace is Christ. I would say the same thing about joy. Our joy is found in a person of Jesus. Valley, let's continue to rediscover Christmas this year by embracing joy no matter what we're going through. Let's remember each day the source of our joy. Let us seek our happiness not in the seasonal trappings and traditions around us, but in returning constantly to the manger, to bow before the baby Jesus, because he is our constant source of joy. Let's choose to continue the process of rejoicing despite the pain and challenges we are facing. And let's face it, these pains and challenges are real. They are part of our life, and God knew that. God knows that. But let us heed the good news of the angels that will bring great joy to all of us. A savior has been born, Messiah, the Lord, and he will carry us through and complete his work in us no matter what, because he is faithful and true. The promise of the Messiah was 
ages old. Christ had been foretold thousands of years before he actually came to earth. And thousands of years after his birth, his promises are still being fulfilled. He is the one true God. He is the Messiah, not just for the Jews, but for all people. Of course, we know that fulfills the promise given to Abraham, that Abraham would be a blessing to all nations. And in 2020, we sit inside this gym and we are blessed because of Abraham. We are his spiritual children and we are blessed because out of his lineage came Christ, our Messiah. I know some of the difficulties that you're going through. You know, obviously the general difficulties of COVID, the busyness of the season, there are financial stresses, there's loneliness, grief, illnesses. But I also know the peace that surpasses all understanding, that leads to joy. Today, I encourage you to rejoice, to return to joy, to return to the source of our joy, which is Jesus. Whether that's you're returning because you followed Jesus for so long and maybe you've just let life overwhelm you. Come unto me, all you are, who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Jesus said. Maybe you've never known this peace, this joy, this hope that is found in Christ. Today, I encourage you to start to find that. All you have to do is just ask God, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I will follow you the rest of my life. And today will be the first day of a brand new life that will last for all eternity. So no matter where you find yourself, come to Jesus and find your peace and joy. Let's pray. Father, in this year of 2020, when illness has taken the world it seems it's taken it over. When there is political unrest, when there is division in our country, within our families there is strife, there are stresses financially, economically, physically, and even within ourselves there's emotional struggles spiritual struggles. We can return to the manger. We can rediscover Christmas. And we can begin to rejoice again because Christ is our joy. Thank you for all that Christ is to us. And I pray for Valley. I pray for those around us, our families, our friends, 
that as we continue to walk through this season of Advent, that we would be okay with being happy, that we would find joy in those little moments. We would allow joy to fill us and that we would always return to Christ who is our source of joy, who dwells within us and joy just bubbles and bursts out from us in great songs of praise or in silent tears that no one sees. Truly, you are God and we adore thee. In your son's name we pray, amen.